Good morning. Good morning. Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us that we in this room should be called the children of God. Amen. Oh, no, really, behold. Behold. Stop for a minute. You know those big uh, trucks, dump trucks up north in the oil sands? Can you imagine standing behind one of those and it dumps its load on you? That's the amount of love that God dumps on us. And we have been chosen to be his children. Remember when you were a kid, you never got chosen for this certain sports team? It felt rejected. No, he chose us to be on his team. And how great it is to be a born-again believer, knowing that our salvation is secure and eternal forever and ever. Amen? Amen. And already you're thinking, he's a Pentecostal. <laughs> is this the pastoral prayer part <laughs> let's pray our loving heavenly father in Jesus name we come to you this morning to once again say hallowed be your name your name is to be revered to be honored your name is sacred and father we thank you that in darkness you came to us by your spirit and revealed yourself to us, showed us our sinfulness, that kept us away from you, but you showed us a way that we could be saved and be forgiven and belong to you and your family. So this morning we again want to say afresh, thank you for our salvation. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your spirit who is our counselor, our guide, our helper, our teacher, the one who brings your power into our lives so that we can walk in the same steps and in the same way as Jesus. So, Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together and to worship you. And I pray, Father, that you would help all of us to just take away the noise in our minds and the distractions and the thoughts and the concerns and just place them outside the door. We can pick those up later if we need to. But right now, Father, clear our minds so that we can just connect with you, come close to you, and just let your word feed our hungry hearts. Thank you for these glorious hymns of the faith that just the spiritual stake, the truths that we've been singing. And Father, we embrace these, we endorse them, we absorb them, and we just depend upon you so much for life, for guidance, for strength in time of need. And you are just, you can't say enough words of how wonderful you are. So, Father, may your Holy Spirit just engulf this place. And we ask in Jesus' name that you would push aside any satanic, static, or opposition that would draw us away from coming close to you. So, Father, I pray your blessing be upon us, one congregation amongst many in this town, as well as in this province, as well as the world. We belong to the body of Jesus Christ. And we pray for our brothers and sisters and just look to you for what you have in store for us today so that when we walk away, Father, we will be renewed in our spirits to just love you more than we ever did before. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. For once, there's something shorter than I am. <laughs> Stop being normal? Yes. Yes, how true. A story circulated some years ago about Sherlock Holmes, 
and his loyal friend, Watson, who were together on a camping trip, and after a good meal, they lay down for the night and went to sleep. Some hours later, Holmes awoke, and he nudged his faithful friend awake. Watson, he said, look up at the sky and tell me what you see. I see millions and millions of stars, Watson replied. But what does that tell you? Holmes questioned. Watson pondered the question and said, astronomically it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, I observe that Saturn is in Leo. Horologically, I deduce that the time is approximately a quarter past three. Theologically, I can see that God is all-powerful and that we are small and insignificant. Meteorologically, I suspect that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. What does it tell you? Holmes was silent for a moment before speaking. Watson, you idiot, he said with a measure of restraint. Someone has stolen our tent. <laughs> From this short story, we could easily conclude that Watson was so caught up in the many possible answers to Holmes' question that he missed the point. The tent was missing. You know, there's an old saying, and I know you're familiar with it. One can't see the forest for the trees. You know, for fun, that's one of those phrases we're aware of, but we sort of forget what it means. So for fun, I googled the meaning of it, and this is what it means. One cannot see the big picture because of being immersed in so many other details. In other words, being down in the forest, one only sees the individual trees. But in order to see the whole of it, one must rise above the trees. Ah, now I see the forest. Watson was so concerned to cover every detail of Holmes' question that he missed the obvious answer of their missing tent. I would like to use this picture you see on the screen right now as an introduction to four timeless truths that will be extracted from the text of Scripture we'll be considering in a moment. And the first one is this. God sees the big picture of our lives. He sees the whole panorama of our lives. We don't. We only see our lives up to this point. But we're not quite sure what's ahead. But God does. In the forest of life, we are all down in the valley, in the trees, on a trail that God has carved out for us to travel on. He sees the whole journey from birth, our birth to our death, and everything that's going to happen in between. And I believe that Solomon, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, has summed up so beautifully what life's journey is all about. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, time to plant and a time to uproot, time to kill and a time to heal, time to tear down and a time to build, time to weep and a time to laugh, to mourn, to dance, to scatter stones, to gather them, to embrace, to refrain to search, 
and to give up, to keep, to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend. We don't know what's going to happen to us tomorrow, but God does. We don't know where we will be six months from now, but God does. And I suspect we all have heard this timeless truth before, but I wish to add these words and will keep us on the right path as we journey on through the various circumstances he has placed before us. And I'd like to draw your attention to two words there, various circumstances. Those are the events, the experiences, the joys, the hurts, the losses, the victories, the surprises, the relationships, the why God questions, and so forth. And I will address the why does God allow this type question in my concluding quote at the end of the message. Because we've all, I'm sure, have asked God, why did this happen? Why did you allow this? Now, I begin this morning with the Holmes-Watson illustration for three reasons. Number one, Sherlock Holmes, a fictional detective, is all about solving mysteries. Number, secondly, the story contained the question, what do you see? And thirdly, there is a subtle suggestion of missing the correct answer to the question due to so many other possible answers. And these three themes of mystery, questions, and answers are also foundational themes found in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. If you would care to turn there in your Bibles or your phone Bible apps or whatever you might have. He is a prophet of God. And he's often been called a minor prophet with a major message. I thought that was kind of unique. But in this book, it's all about seeing the big picture. The whole three chapters is about moving from fear to faith. From what frightened him to what he came to accept. Now, now very little is known about this spokesman of God whose writings are set against a background of the decadence and the decline of the southern kingdom of Judah between the years of 626 and 586 B.C. What we can deduce about him, though, by reading these three short chapters um, containing the message he received from God, well, first of all, he seems to be const constantly within earshot of God, meaning he listens as well as speaks to God. Secondly, he seems to be a God worshiper as viewed in the exaltation of his creator throughout his writings. And thirdly, he seems to be a God-committed individual, which is evidenced by his surrender and acceptance of God's mysterious will for his people Israel. And in the final chapter, we read of Habakkuk's commitment to trusting God in spite of the his gruesome-looking future, which is actually quite refreshing. Not, not the gruesome future, but it's refreshing to see Habakkuk's commitment to what's about to happen. Uh, if it's not refreshing, it's outright astounding, but also can become very challenging to us as believers today. 
It is interesting to note that these three written chapters are not a message addressed to the people of, of Judah. It's not like God said, Habakkuk, take this message to them, because this short book is, is really a dialogue between Habakkuk and God, which I thought was an interesting point. And Habakkuk basically is a bewildered man expressing his bewilderment about God's strange way of dealing with issues within the kingdom of Judah. But God graciously provides a response that helps his beloved spokesman see the bigger picture. So this morning's message is entitled, A Chosen Response to the Mysterious Ways of God. And I would like us to extract these four timeless truths from this prophet that may have a direct application to our own journey of faith on that trail that God has carved out for us even before the beginning of time. Then two parts of this study, two points of the message. Number one, Habakkuk's complaints and how God responds. And secondly, Habakkuk's reaction to God's actions. And if I was to put this message in a sentence, it would be this. We need to allow the mysteries of life to lead us closer to our Heavenly Father, but faith must always rule over mystery. I have to repeat that again. We need to allow the mysteries of life to lead us closer to our Heavenly Father, but faith, faith must always rule over mystery. Why? Because there's a danger a very present danger that these mysteries, these unexplained things that God allows in our lives, the danger, there is a temptation that may lead us away from God instead of closer to him. And that's been evidenced by a number of believers who just could not handle it and they walked away from their faith in Jesus. There is that inherent danger and we need to be aware of it. Faith must always rule over mystery. So we begin with... The first point, Habakkuk's complaints and God's response. And in Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 2 and 4, we read these words. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There, there is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. I mentioned earlier that Habakkuk was a bewildered man. Now, the definition of being bewildered is, means to be puzzled or disturbed mentally or to be unclear in mind or purpose. It means basically to be confused, to be bewildered. And do you sense Habakkuk's frustration here in these two verses? There's unanswered prayer. There's rampant evil. Uh, He's saying, God, do you even care? And this almost reads like a lament from the Psalms. People of the kingdom of Judah seem pretty corrupt, according to Habakkuk's view. There's injustice. There's wrongdoings, there's destruction, there's violence, there's strife. And if I didn't know any better, this reads like a current CBC news report today in our society here in Canada. Do things ever change? By the way, on the side, if anybody says to you the Bible's old-fashioned and out of date, 
you can agree with them and say, yeah, hairstyles change, clothes styles change, but there's one thing that does not change through the generations, human nature. And God's word speaks to human nature. That's why it's the living word of God. It speaks to what we think and what we do. And it speaks volumes. That's free. That's on the side. Okay, just to let you know. Habakkuk questions God, why do you not punish? Intervene. Do something. And turn this bad situation around. I'm wondering if there's any of us in here today that could possibly identify with Habakkuk's voiced bewilderment to God. Has there been some confusing circumstances in your life recently that's led you to wonder if God's going to do anything about them or not? Are your voice prayers similar to Habakkuk's? Well, if so, good. I'm glad. Our God and Creator values our willingness to be honest with Him. It's okay to share our feelings of confusion and ask, Dear Heavenly Father, what in the world are you doing? Why have you allowed this to happen to me? You don't seem to be hearing or answering my prayers. Why this car accident? Why this health problem? Why this relational issue? In fact, I'm even going to put a little line here, blank, and say, you fill in the blank. If you've prayed and spoken words like these, good. Take heart. You are in good company with Habakkuk and Job, who said, why, God, was I ever born? King David, how long, O Lord, will you forgive me forever? Asaph, will the Lord reject us forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has God forgotten to be merciful? We're in good company, folks. Isn't it encouraging to know God's people can ask why questions of God in the midst of their personal struggles in life? And this brings us to our second timeless truth. I encourage all of us to embrace. It's okay to express one's perplexities to God in prayer. It's okay. It's all right. Without feeling guilty. I say this because it's possible some believers may have incorrect assumptions about confronting God with such deep, emotionally charged questions. Being told, you can't be angry at God. That's not Christian. It's dishonoring to who he is in his glory to, to, to question him. And, and Christians are supposed to be victorious over adversity. Well, folks, Scripture shows us that these assumptions might not be entirely correct. So it's okay to express one's perplexities to God and without feeling guilty for doing it. And this is where things start to get exciting. God's response to Habakkuk's bewilderment, verses 5 and 6. God's answer. Habakkuk, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. Habakkuk's first question or lament is, why, Lord, do you not punish this injustice and turn it around for good? God responds to the question that he will punish it. In fact, he's already preparing the wicked Babylonians to be his method for chastising the disobedience of his people. 
They will be the rod, the Babylonians will be the rod God will use to inflict corrective discipline on them. God responds to Habakkuk's voice bewilderment by revealing his plan for dealing with Israel's rampant sins. Do you get the feeling God is revealing the bigger picture to Habakkuk? What an encouragement. What a wonderful answer to prayer. In effect, he is helping his prophet to see that bigger picture as well as letting him know that he has not abandoned his chosen people. And one would think this enlightening information would solve the mystery of Habakkuk's bewilderment and answer those why questions he expressed to God in verses 2 to 4. But it does not. In fact, it leads to more questions stemming from newly sensed confusion. Verses 12 and 13, Habakkuk responds to God. Oh Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. Oh Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. Oh rock, you've ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. But why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? His question is this, God, are you going to use a nation more wicked than us to punish us? This doesn't make sense to me. How many of us have ever felt what God is doing doesn't make sense to us? Well, we're right back to Habakkuk's bewilderment again. Doesn't make sense. It's ironic. It's a paradox. It's a mystery. This is so frustrating trying to figure God out. Well, I have an illustration of what Habakkuk has seemed to have forgotten regarding this new dilemma. There was a man in the prairies whose house was blown away in a hurricane. The local preacher, seeing this as an opportunity, told the man, punishment for sin is inevitable. Oh, really, said the man. And did you know that your house was blown away too? (laughs) Well, responded the preacher after a moment's thought, in that case... The Lord's ways are beyond finding out. (laughs) The Lord's ways are beyond understanding. I wonder if God's prophet got so caught up in trying to figure out God's motives and purposes that he failed to remember, and this is for all of us, the Lord's ways are beyond understanding. But there's something in our human nature that says, I want to know and now. I want to be in control of my destiny. That's part of our fallen nature. And sometimes it manifests itself. Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9 are very important verses to retain in our seeing the bigger picture. God says through Isaiah, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I wonder if there's anyone here this morning that can relate to Habakkuk, like being, for example, being confused over the way God seems to be handling those circumstances in your life, not sure if he's hearing your prayers, overwhelmed by the mystery of all. If so, here's our third timeless truth. 
for us to embrace. Living the Christian life means to exercise faith as one walks through the unexplained mysteries God allows. I highlighted on the screen that word faith. Faith is trusting God no matter what, and I'm going to include our unknown future. Remember that path we're all walking through the trees? We can't sometimes see the forest or remember that God sees the bigger picture. Faith is trusting God with our unknown future, which, by the way, it's a future we have no control over anyway because God's the one in charge of everything. But just remember, he is in charge of it. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You could almost recite it with me. Trust in the Lord. Recite it with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your... Let that rule in your heart instead of doubt, dismay, discouragement, bewilderment. To trust him and to acknowledge him, it's all about surrender. And Habakkuk models for this idea of surrender for us so beautifully as we move on to the second point of the message, Habakkuk's reaction to God's action. After fully contemplating all the insights God has shared with him, he concludes in chapter 3, verses 16 and 18, he concludes with these statements. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come upon the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there's no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, What do his words reveal to us? Two things. Number one, he is terrified emotionally. Do you get that sense? He's he's, he's scared. To learn how harsh the punishment God is bringing upon the people of Judah for their sins. Which here's another little side note. They had reached a point of no return. There is a point of no return with God. And the only thing left, the option left is to bring judgment. That should wake us up to some of the things in our own lives. I'm not saying we can reach a point of no return. You have to remember this is Old Testament before Jesus came. But with Jesus, every sin can be forgiven. Except one. To attribute a miracle of God to the devil. That's unforgivable. It's the only unpardonable sin. But we know that we can bring our sins and our transgressions and and confess them and place them under the blood of Jesus. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed us from our sins. But unfortunately for Judah, they had reached a point of no return. So he's scared, he's terrified. Secondly, in writing these words, yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come, he reveals to his readers that he has humbly surrendered himself to accepting God's mysterious will in this matter. 
Habakkuk does not have the last page of the novel of his life to know how everything turns out. He has no idea of his future, but that is not all he accepts. I'm going to call him a realist. Habakkuk is a realist. He knows what invasion means. Total economic disaster, destroyed crops, no animals to sell or, or drive food from. For an agricultural society as Judah was, this amounts to a total collapse of material prosperity. And I suppose North America had a taste of this back in 2008 with the mortgage crisis. Do you recall that? How many people lost their homes, their jobs, their financial security? That was huge. So how does... Habakkuk respond to the upcoming collapse of this country, verses 18 and 19 of chapter 3. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on to the heights. In short, he is declaring his confidence that God will take care of him no matter what the unknown future might be. Oh, that just challenges me. It's refreshing to me. It's, a, it's amazing because he chose to, number one, rejoice in God. Number two, relish his salvation. Number three, receive strength from God. And number four, let God rise, raise him above the painful circumstances about to come. He sets my feet on high. He gets me looking at him and not the circumstances. And how could Habakkuk do or say those things in the face of losing everything that was precious to him? Well, the answer, I believe, can be found in some provocative words written by a Russian author named Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Born in 1918, his later writings raised global awareness of the former Soviet Union's googlegs, or forced labor camps. Labeled a dissident, he was arrested and sent to one for eight years of his life. From his 1974 book, The Gugleg Archipelago, he writes, How can you stand your ground when you are weak and sensitive to pain, when people you love are still alive, when you are unprepared? What do you need to make you stronger than the interrogator and the whole trap? From the moment you go to prison, you must put your cozy past firmly behind you. At the very threshold, you must say to yourself, my life is over. A little early, to be sure, but there's nothing to be done about it. I shall never return to freedom. I am condemned to die, now or a little later. But later on, in truth, it would be even harder, and so the sooner the better. I no longer have any property whatsoever. For me, those I love have died, and for them, I have died. From today on, my body is useless and alien to me. Only my spirit and my conscience remain precious and important to me. Confronted by such a prisoner, the interrogation will tremble. But here are the words that impacted me. Only the man who has renounced everything can win that victory. Only the one who has renounced everything can win that type of victory. Renounce means to abandon a cause or a group in order to espouse another. It means to give up without intent to return. And so this whole idea of renouncing, uh, of giving up something and giving your allegiance to something else is what he's talking about. And I want to believe that Habakkuk accepted the heart-wrenching news of God's judgment because he had renounced the values of wealth. 
material possessions and worldly prestige, choosing instead to embrace the God he loved and served. It's only in surrendering that we will achieve the victory and carry on in faith and trust to what God is doing. Because he's, I'm glad he's in charge because I think he knows better than we do. Let him have those, let him have, let him have his way with us. Comes through surrender because he will never force himself on our will. How would this practice of abandoning worldly values for heavenly ones translate into our lives today? Well, the answer, I believe, can be found in the words of the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. He writes to these believers in the city of Colossae back in his day. Since then, you believers have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on these earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And then there's a bunch of instructions afterwards as to how to make that happen. And those profound and challenging words brings us to our fourth and final timeless truth. We can trust our Heavenly Father with our unknown future if, if we set our hearts and minds on those things pertaining to the kingdom of God. I would like to conclude this message today with a quote from an individual that I will not give you their name, I will not give you their gender, I will not give you the date it was uttered or written. I really want our minds to be purely unbiased in what this individual says. And I quote, this person writes, is not a picture painted on a canvas by the application of one stroke of the brush at a time? Similarly, the cruel chisel destroys a stone with each cut, but what the stone suffers by repeated blows is no less than the shape the mason is making of it. And should a poor stone be asked, what is happening to you? It might reply, don't ask me, all I know is that for my part, there is nothing for me to know or do, only to remain steady under the hand of my master and to love him and suffer him to work out my destiny. It is for him to know how to achieve this. I know neither what he is doing nor why. I only know that he is doing what is best and most perfect, and I suffer each cut of the chisel as though it were the best thing for me, even though... To tell the truth, each one is my idea of ruin, destruction, and defacement. But, ignoring all this, I rest contented with the present moment. Thinking only of my duty to it, I submit to the work of this skillful master without caring to know what it is. I'd mentioned earlier, why does God allow us to go through questions or experiences where we question him why? And I think a very important part of the answer is to conform us to the very image and character likeness of Jesus Christ. And he's the skilled master builder, chiseler and designer of our lives. God sees the big picture of our lives and will keep us on the right path as we journey through the various circumstances he's placed before us. 
And it's okay to express one's perplexities to God in prayer. Thirdly, living the Christian life means to exercise faith as one walks through the unexplained mysteries God allows. And we can trust our Heavenly Father with our unknown future if we set our hearts and minds on those things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And so I'm going to close with our sermon and a message right here. If you can remember the early part, we must let faith rule over mystery. Father in heaven, may your will and not our will be done. And all the things you allow in our lives, we need only to look back in hindsight and see how you are sculpting us. Maybe there's more in the near future, but whatever it is, Father, you know best. We surrender to that and know that what's most important is that one day our faith will be made sight and we cling tenaciously to that hope that you've introduced to us because Jesus blazed the trail for us already into your glory, to your presence. Thank you for the hope of eternal life and for sustaining us day by day. We worship you and love you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.